You're listening to the First Corinthians When Immaturity Meets Worldliness series preached by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. Look, if you would, at verse number 1 this morning. We're continuing our study from the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. We just finished off last week, chapter 11. And now we will begin in chapter 12, starting at verse number 1. Now, Paul is transitioning again to another topic. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. It seems as if every week as we've gone through Corinthians, we are are tackling topics that are either controversial, they're counterculture, or they're somewhat complex, and we've got to work our way through those things. And this section is um, no different. As we wade in now to the topic of spiritual gifts, this section is, is heavy, it is deep, at times it might be confusing. I know for many of us who have grown up in different backgrounds, in different churches, we may be confused by what's going on in chapters 12 and 14 in particular. But we're going to wade into this portion as well. And, and so in order this morning to really ascertain what's happening in this section, which goes from chapter 12 continues in chapter 13 and concludes in chapter 14, I want you to take your Bible and just turn over a page or so to chapter 14, and I want you to see how Paul sort of wraps up what we are about to get into. And maybe seeing the end before the beginning will help us as we wade our way through this portion. Chapter 14, let's look together at verse number 36. And and this is typical Paul. We're about to experience sarcasm. Okay? And here's what he says in verse number 36. What? What? After what he's just written, he says, what? Talking to the Corinthians. And then he says, came the word of God from or out from you. And we would say today, Paul was speaking to them saying, what? Did you, the Corinthian church, did you write The Bible. Of course, it's ridiculous, but he's he's making a point here. What? Did you write the Bible? And then he continues in verse 36. Or came it unto you only. Okay, if you didn't write the Bible, are you the only people in the world that received the word of God? Are you the only ones that got the text, that got the divine revelation and the message from above? And then he says this. If any man, and of course any man, any woman, any person in the church, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you What he's talking about specifically are chapters 12, 13, and 14, what he's just written. But as an apostle, being inspired by the Spirit of God to write Scripture, he says, listen, if you think you're spiritual, then you need to acknowledge that what I'm telling you, what I'm writing to you in chapters 12, 13, and 14 in particular, are the very Word of God. 
And so he says to the Corinthians, as he says to the Chathamites this morning, we as believers must not ignore, we must not disregard, we must not elevate our opinions or our experiences over the word of God. We can't do it. And so in verse 38, he says this, but if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, look it. If you think you're spiritual, then you better listen to what I'm telling you in regard to this whole section, chapters 12, 13, and 14. If you think you're spiritual, then listen to what I'm saying. And if you're not willing to listen to the word of God and you want to be ignorant, then go ahead and be ignorant. Because you're not as spiritual as you think you are. And so I hope you can see that where we're going, now, Paul has much to say about this area of spirituality. So let me give you a little spoiler alert as we delve into chapter 12. Um, as, as we piece this portion together, as we look at chapters 12, 13, and 14, apparently what has happened is there are a group of believers in Corinth who, who have this manifestation, this gifting, and the gifting is, it, it's clear, it's obvious, it's in front of people. And they believe because they have this gifting that they are special, that they are the spiritual ones, that they're the ones whom God is using, and sort of everybody else doesn't measure up to them. And so they've taken this idea of spiritual gifts, and for them, it is an, it's an it's a obvious evidence in their lives that they, above everyone... They're spiritual. Look at me. See me. I am better than you. I am before you. I am speaking the words of God. This was the attitude that they had. And Paul will now correct this and bring this Corinthian church back in line with what it means to be truly spiritual and to truly worship as believers. So, maybe before we start back in our text in chapter 12, verse 1, uh, it may be profitable this morning to ask the simple question, talking to believers, what does it mean to be spiritual? How do we gauge someone's spirituality? How do we truly know? What's, what's the key element in knowing that someone is truly spiritual? And by that I mean they're, they're, they're right with God, they're walking with God, they know God, they're, they're in, how do we know, what's the gauge, what's the key element? He said it should be simple enough, right? I think you'd be surprised. I, I think you might be surprised at your own answers this morning as we try to, to pinpoint, okay, what does it mean, what's the key element of spirituality? And there are a number of us, because of the way we've been raised and how we grew up, that we would say, well, certainly one of the ways, the best way to find out or to know that someone's spiritual is how they look. How they look. And maybe for you the idea is, well, listen, you know spiritual things are heavy. And so obviously someone who has a, a, a sad countenance, Who's like, oh, you know, I can't lift my head up. The world is bad. It's going to hell in a handbasket. The world, it's all going to end. Woe is me. We understand this is God, and, and the world stinks. 
I can't smile. I can't laugh. I can't rejoice. I'm just so spiritual. And this person looks as if they've just downed a glass of lemon juice. Is that what spirituality means? Because they're so contrite, they're so heavy in spiritual things. Or maybe you say, well, maybe it's not their countenance, but maybe it really is the outside and, and how they look. They got the right haircut. You know, it's, it's tapered up the sides. White walls on the sides, if you know what that is. Right? Or they put a bowl on their head and they cut it just right so you can see certainly that this individual must have something going on inside that they are spiritual. Or maybe by what they wear, simply by what they wear. A suit, a tie, a dress. And if you think that that's crazy that anyone would think that as far as being spiritual, you're mistaken. There's a whole segment in Christianity who believes that what you wear or what you look like makes you spiritual. I heard a man years ago, he was visiting Niagara Falls. Now, we know where Niagara Falls is, right? We understand Niagara Falls. There's probably at least, what, 20, 30 people there given any day, right? Is that about right, 20, 30, right? And this man was talking to his church, and he said, we were at Niagara Falls for the day, and while we were there, my wife and I were the only believers in Niagara Falls. And you might ask, how would he know that? And here was his answer. Because my wife was wearing a dress. I could be wrong. But I have a hunch out of the 20 or 30 people that were there that day, the thousands that were there that day, I would guess that maybe there was maybe one other believer there, maybe a secret one without a dress on, right? I'm not joking. This, is, this was his attitude. And so we might say, well, the best gauge is to, how, to see how someone looks. Maybe we would say, well, it certainly can't be that. But maybe it's the fact that they do churchy things. You know, churchy things. It's Sunday. That guy, that girl, every Sunday morning, Come rain or shine or dead of night or snow or sleet, they are there. I mean, you can't even barricade the streets. They will get there somehow. They've got to be spiritual. And listen, not only do they come on Sunday morning, they're fanatical. They show up on Sunday night. And not only that, you think that's crazy. Some of those people... They go to a service in the middle of the week. What in the world are they doing in church on Wednesday? What? They must be spiritual. And maybe for you and maybe for me, we think just showing up and doing your thing here is somehow a sign and a great gauge of spirituality. But let me share a thought with you, and maybe you've, you've entertained this thought. There was a group of people back in the first century who were very churchy. They're very devoted. A matter of fact, their rules and regulations and their religious activity would put most of us, if not all of us, to shame. They're called Pharisees. They're Pharisees. And, and we have that as a, a negative connotation now, but it meant the separated ones. It meant the spiritual ones. And listen to what Jesus says about this group who believed that their spirituality was all external... In John chapter 8, verse 44, he says, You 
Pharisee, churchy person, religious type, you are of your father, the devil. 44. I said it should be 44. That's my bad. But I think 44 says this. Don't want to check that out. That's why we bring our Bibles. If you can't trust what's up there, look in your Bibles. All right? Someone there? 44? Anybody there? You're going there. I hear the pages. That's good. You hear the pages going. All right? Now, David will find that in a second. There it is. Okay. Perfect. That's what your Bible should say. Jesus says to the Pharisee, you are of your father, the devil. Can I tell you something? That is not a compliment. It's like saying to the church lady, you are the spawn of Satan. Okay. It's not, it is not good. And so certainly that can't be the key element of spirituality. Run out of stuff. Well, maybe, just maybe, it's not the external things you wear, maybe it's not the stuff you do in church, but maybe you would think that spirituality is the person who is, I mean, it's obvious through what they do. I mean, these individuals can, can prophesy. I mean, they can, they can foretell and foretell the truth. It's, it's amazing. Not only that, there are individuals out there in church settings who say, I can exercise demons. Mm, guy's possessed. That girl's possessed. And, and I tell, bring them to me. We'll pray and we'll exercise those demons. Or they do wonderful, wonderful works. Certainly, they are the ones we should look to for spirituality. If you have your Bible, since you were turning pages earlier, I want you to see something in Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse number 21. Again, the words of Jesus, who ought to know what spiritual life is about. He says in verse number 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now listen to this. Many will say to me in that day, if you're asking what that day is, it is the day of judgment. It is a day when every man and woman will stand before Jesus Christ, he will not be mocked. He will not be spit upon. He will not be scourged. He is not going to be a savior coming to save as a, a, a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He is coming as king. He is coming as judge. And he will judge the world. And he will judge you. And he will judge me. That day. And all we, what we like to do is think, well, that day is... It's not for me until at least another 20, 30, 40 years. That day, my friend, you don't know when that day is coming. Steve was just talking to me this morning, an accident the other day on Highway 40. A couple people killed. Like that. There is coming a day for all of us that we will stand before Christ. And he says, many will come to me in that day, and here's what they'll say. Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And I want you to know what Jesus says when he responds. He never denies that they did any of those things, and he never denies that they did it in his name. Never. Here's what he says. 
Verse 23. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. When you think of the magnitude of what Jesus just said, those have got to be the most horrifying words ever spoken. And to people who really believed they had it together, who really believed they were spiritual. Look at what we've done in your name. And he says, wait a minute. I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. And so we say, man, we're, we're in trouble now. I mean, all those things that I, I equated with spirituality, obviously they're not what I thought they were. So what does it mean, then, to be spiritual? Well, we, we must start, according to this verse, we must know the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 8, verse number 9 says this, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And so, before we even start the conversation of spirituality, listen to me, I don't care what you think spirituality is. If the Spirit of God does not reside in your life, if you have not been, and you might hate the word, you might not like the word or understand the word, if you have not been born again by His Spirit, if you have not been washed by the blood of Christ, if you have not been redeemed by the effectual working of the Spirit of God, if you don't know the Spirit, you are none of His. It has nothing to do with your denomination, you being Baptist or Catholic or anyone else, how much good you do following the golden rule, trying to keep the law, you know, my mode of baptism, sprinkled, immersed, dunked, whatever, none of it. We cannot even have a spiritual conversation until we know that by faith we've, we've repented and asked Jesus Christ in faith to be our Lord and Savior. That's spiritual, that's a start. And so this morning, if you're not there, we can't have this conversation. You, you can't be spiritual without the Spirit of God. But there's more. That's the beginning. Not only do we have the Spirit of God, we must have the fruit of that Spirit in our life. This morning, it does not matter what you know. How many verses you have memorized. What kind of ministries you are in charge of or active in. It doesn't matter how often you go to church. And we have this idea, even as Christians, that somehow, some way, if I'm, you know, if I'm doing these things as a born-again believer, I'm spiritual. Wait a minute. Where is the fruit of the Spirit in your life? When I was a kid, teenager, long time ago now, I'll be celebrating 40-something this, this week. Yeah, thanks, Dave. You're still older than I am by a couple months. Okay? Um, 46. So, so 30 years ago, I can vividly recall sitting in a church service. It was a Sunday night. And uh, a special guest was speaking at Cleveland Baptist that night, church of 2,000 people. I'll never forget sitting there, and as the man got on the platform, he must have been at the time in his 40s, maybe early 50s, he began to preach. And I'm telling you, as a teenager, I sat there, and, and I thought to myself, man, 
if I were ever going to preach, and I wasn't interested then, sometimes I'm not interested now, but if I was ever, if I, yeah, you're thinking, yeah, I know. If, if I was ever going to preach, I want to preach like that guy. And I'm telling you something, he opened the word and he gave the historical context of what was happening in Israel at this time. I remember the message today. And, and I sat there, and, and the crowd sat, I mean, it was, uh, and he gave the context, and he talked about how it related to us today, and then gave a personal application, and then a story that I still remember today. I, re, I could tell you the story. I told the Kim the other day, I could tell you the story, and I thought to myself, man, if I would ever have the privilege to preach, that's the guy I'd like to preach like. Fifteen years ago, he was arrested for being a pedophile. I didn't pattern my life after his ministry, by the way. It was just the preaching part, okay? That guy had a form of godliness, but, but nothing was going on in here. We want to talk about spirituality as we go through this text about what it means to be spiritual. Listen to me. If the fruit of God's spirit, love, joy, peace, Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. If those fruits aren't being displayed in our lives on a daily basis, where the rubber meets the road as a, as a minister, as a servant, as a person in ministry, whatever you're doing, as a father, as a husband, as a wife, as a teenager, if in our lives I've got a ministry and no one ever sees love or compassion, the fruit, what is going on? It's not spirituality. If I'm a father and, no one, and my kids never see tenderness or self-control, and we wonder why our kids are just fleeing Christianity, if as a spouse, there's never any peace. As a teenager, if at school, there's never real joy in my life. We are missing the mark. It's not, well, I'm going to really try hard. No, it's by saying, I'm killing this flesh. I'm stopping this. Spirit of God, today, you lead, you guide, you live your life through me. And whether I feel like it or not, you control me. That's spirituality. And here's the deal this morning. If you don't like that, then on the authority of what Paul said, you can be ignorant still. But that's the truth. And so this morning, I pray and I hope that if you're a believer in Christ, there is a desire in you to be spiritual. It's not a bad thing. Oh, you're pious. No, no, no. It's the Spirit of God living through us, empowering us to live this life that we cannot live. And by the way we act and what we do and how we talk, it's obvious God's doing something. That's what it's about. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, go back to verse 1. We might be in Corinthians for a while. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. Ye know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. And, and again, just in passing, you, you understand this. 
Paul always goes to the fact that if you are born again, there ought to be changes. There, there should be a past life. The things I used to do or say or be, I am not doing those anymore. I am struggling through at least. Because the gospel that saves us is a gospel that changes us. And if this gospel never changed you, this gospel never saved you. And Paul says, listen, don't be ignorant about this spiritual gift thing. You know your past. Your past is your past. You were led away by false, dumb, stupid idols. They couldn't hear. They couldn't respond. And then he says in verse 3, Wherefore, because of this, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, you might read over that and think, that's no big deal. Yeah, whatever, let's just move on. Um, let me tell you what uh, Gordon Fee says about, he's a commentator, says about this verse. He said, this verse is a notorious exegetical difficulty. Because we're not really sure what Paul is saying. When he says, I want you to know, no man speaking by the Spirit says Jesus is accursed. What is he talking about there? And the fact is, we're not sure. Lots of ideas. It might be simple, saying this is, these are people who don't know the Spirit. They would say that. These are people who do know the Spirit. It might be that he's talking about this ecstatic speech that they knew when they were pagans, and now he's making the comparison. There's, there's lots of things going on here. And the truth is, after looking at this verse for four hours, I have to tell you this about what I think about this verse. I don't know. I have, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. There, there are some good... Uh, answers to what he's talking about. But let me show you what's really important about the end of this verse. And you can figure this out. You can study on your own. Have at it. He says at the end, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. What he's saying here is that the Spirit of God will always direct attention to Jesus Christ. John 16, 13, and 14, you know these verses. Jesus says, How be it when he, the spirit of the truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself. And then he goes on in verse 14 and says, The spirit's job is to glorify me. Now this might not mean anything to you right now, but I promise you, as we go through this passage of scripture, especially in chapter 14, you need to understand something. The spirit of God's ministry, the Holy Spirit of God, his ministry is always to exalt Jesus Christ. The community of believers should never be spirit-centered. We believe the spirit, we, we worship the spirit, we know about the spirit, we need him. But the spirit always directs worship and praise to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Always. And you will understand this as we get into this text. And you will understand this when you see how other churches interact with the Holy Spirit. Paul says, no man speaking by the Spirit says he's a curse, but I want to tell you something. Every man speaking by the Spirit of God, you know what he'll do? He will exalt Jesus Christ and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Because when he is lifted up, men and women are drawn to him. Okay? And that's what's really important. My life, my service, all that I do should, should direct to the praise and glory of God. All right. Verse number four. We're talking about spiritual gifts. That's the whole idea. Now, 
the, there are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. So here we go now. We're going to plunge into the spiritual gifts part. Verse number 4 starts off and says, hey, there are differences, there are distinctions, there are diversities of gifts. The word gifts there is the word that we use for charisma. It's what the word is. It's charisma. We get the word charismatic from that word. And it means a grace gift. It is a gift given by God, his spirit, to the church to be used to energize God's people to fulfill his plan and to carry along and to bring about the kingdom of God. It's a gift from God. He says there are diversities of gifts. They are different. They're not all the same. They're not meant to be the same. Our God is not a cookie-cutter God. There are differences, and they show his glory. If you look at your Bible, let me just read verses 4 through 6. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, Holy Spirit, verse 5. There are differences of administration, but the same Lord, Jesus Christ. And there are differences of operation, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. And so here, even Paul just casually goes back to the triunity of God. One God, three persons, right? Distinctive, but yet unity. And he says, the Spirit of God gives gifts so that the church can have different gifts for the purpose of being unified in their differences. Different, diverse gifts. Now, it is not difficult to know what these gifts are. We have this idea today that, well, the gifts, if, if the Spirit of God has given a gift, I have no idea what it is. It's some hidden mystery that I don't know how to find out what it is. How do I even know? Can I tell you something? These gifts are not hard to figure out. Uh, if, if I said to you today, hey, I'm going to play a special for you, and I think my gift is the gift of music. Okay? And so I just want to bless your hearts today with music. Okay? Many p- people will recognize this recorder. You've seen them over and over again in school. All right? And here we go. Can I ask you a question? Is my gift music? The person who said yes, I need to see you in a hearing doctor afterwards. It's not. It's, it's not. And that's okay that it's not. That's not it. If you think, well, I think my gift is administration, so, hey, I'm going to organize this event, or I'm going to do this dinner, or I'm going to uh, do this group, or we're going to organize it, and it turns out to be chaotic. And it's just sheer chaos. Can I tell you something? Your gift is not administration. If you think of the nursery and the first thing that comes to your mind is duct tape, we could use your help. But, but you might not have the gift of compassion. Okay? That might not be it. And so there are different gifts, different gifts. Um, verse 5, he says, And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. This administration is the way that they are used. You see, God can give gifting to his people, and yet those gifts can be used in different ways. For example, if God gives a man or a woman the gift of teaching or exhortation, some might teach adults. 
Some might teach teenagers. Some might teach children or just women or just men. But, but there are differences. And again, it's not saying that one is better than the other. And sometimes we have this convoluted idea that, well, um, I teach adults. I don't teach children. Can I tell you something? Every year for the last several now, more than several, we have had the, the, the Hoops basketball camp. Fantastic camp. It, it runs flawlessly. It's an amazing thing, which I have nothing to do with. I don't, I'm not, I don't put my hands I do nothing, and that's why it works so well. Right? Corentes and Brother Dan, they do that. I, I do nothing. But every now and then, I get the opportunity to give the gospel on Thursday. And I usually get the youngest group there. John, how, how old are the youngest kids? Seven? Six, seven years old. Somewhere in that age. Can I tell you something? It is one of the hardest things that I do every year. Because I am trying to think of a way to take the truth of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and bring it down without losing anything to a level for children to understand, which they can, and to keep their attention. <laughs> it ain't easy. So, this idea that, well, he's got the gift of teaching, but he only teaches kids. It's ridiculous. The Bible says there are different services for compassion. You may have a compassionate heart, and so your compassion may be just listening and letting someone cry on your shoulder. And how we need that. We need that. We need people who just shut up and say, come and cry, and I, I will listen to you. A lot of hurting people out there. A lot of hurting people in here. And so maybe, maybe it's shown or manifested by the fact that you just listen. Maybe you join a grief group. Maybe you make meals. Maybe you visit shut-ins. Maybe you show up at a nursing home. See, there's differences of service. Maybe in evangelism. So I, I, don't, I can't talk to people, but I think I have this gift, and I just pass out literature, and I do it all the time. It's okay. Some do that. Some talk one-on-one. Some do open air. It doesn't matter. But there are differences there. And then verse number six, he says, and there are diversities or differences of operations or workings, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. And I want you to see something. The gifts are different. God gives them, and there are differences even in, even in the giving of them and the operation or the working. There can be men and women who are gifted in an area, and they never see the fruits that someone else sees. It's not that doing anything wrong. It's what God has given them and how God has blessed them. He blesses the breath of a ministry. We were in Florida 20 years ago. And on a Sunday morning, we showed up to go to a small little Baptist church. And in Florida, there are Baptist churches everywhere. And they're like on every block, there's a church there. So we showed up to this little church. And when we showed up, it was my family, the boys were young. Then Greg and Joyce were there. And I think maybe Michelle was there at that time. We, we go into the service, and I, and I think that we doubled their attendance. By going. Really. You go in there with friendly people. They love the Lord. And that pastor got up and he preached a message. And I have to say to you, um, 20 years ago, I know his message. He preached on the, the floating axe head from Elijah. And it was fantastic. And he had 15 people, maybe, in his church. Say, what a failure. He's not a failure. He's taking his gift. And there are different operations. There, there are different work. God takes care of that. There are some men who, who teach and preach. They have thousands. And the truth is, I don't even know if they're very interesting. And they have thousands. 
that is not for us to worry about. That is God. There are different operations. There are different workings. That's what it is. And so he says, in light of this, in light of these gifts that we have, there's no need to be jealous of anyone's gift. Anyone's. Your gift is not better than mine, and mine is not better than yours. There's no need to act as one gift is of less importance, or I should just sit on mine because it's not out in the front. Because God gives them as he pleases, and he determines the results, the impact, and the breath. Now look at verse number 7, and we'll wrap this up. But the manifestation of the Spirit, some form of the Spirit's working, the manifestation of the Spirit, is given to every man to profit with all. He says that, Okay, here are these gifts, these giftings. If you want to know who gets these gifts, he says every man, which means every man and every woman in the church who is a believer. There's this principle, right? The, the, the 2080 principle, you've probably heard of it before, maybe you haven't. But it says this, especially in relationship to the church, that 20% of the people in a church do 80% of the work. Now, I think our numbers are probably better than that, I would imagine, much better than that. But that's, that's the average. That 20% of the people give 80% of the money and the finances. And, and we have this idea in our, in our churches that uh, Alan, let me find his name, I think it was Alan Johnson said this, in the church. The church has become the dance of the clergy on Sunday with mostly spectators. And what he is saying is that on Sunday morning, the guy gets up in the front, he runs around, he acts crazy, keeps your attention, he's loud and obnoxious and entertaining, he does his job, and everyone else sits there and watches and does nothing. That is not God's plan or design for the church. He gives to every believer gifts to profit this body of believers. It's not the dance of the clergy. We have this consumer mentality today. And we sit back and we, we come to church and it's like, here I am. It's like, okay, here I am. I'm sitting. Feed me. Feed me. And we sit. We become sponges. That's not the plan. God has given every one of you who are saved a gift. And the gift is to be used. And for too many of us, we are waiting for someone to serve us. We're not serving. And I just told you, I don't care what your gift is, it matters. But we're, we're not serving. Or some of you are sitting back and you're saying, well, I, I think I know what my gift is, but I'm just waiting for a committee to come and tell me to use it. Listen, don't do this. Don't come up to me afterwards and say, hey, look, Pastor Rick, I think the Spirit of God has really convicted me. I, I feel compassion toward this family. They're, they're sort of struggling, and I just feel compassion toward them, and I, I want to make them a meal. Do you think it's a good idea for me to make them a meal? Now, if you're a terrible cook, I might say, no, don't do that. Why are you asking me that? If you have a gift of compassion and you feel that they need something, here's a novel idea. Go out and do it. It works. 
It absolutely works. Unless you just want someone to pat you on the back and you get your reward. And it stinks because it's me. That's it. That's the praise you get. Don't, don't come and ask. Go do something. You haven't, because this is, this is not, in reality, the church. Yes, it's a, it's a called-out assembly of believers, the ecclesia. But this church goes on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And you all have gifts to minister to this church. And here's what he says at the end. Verse number 7. He says, The manifestation, the power of the Spirit is given to every man and woman, every believer. Why? To profit with all. Your gift is not for you. It's not for your self-affirmation or self-fulfillment. Look how good I feel when I do this. God doesn't care how you feel. It's not about that. Or look at, it's for my, my, my individual, individual status. Look who I am. I am preaching in front of all these people. I don't preach to children. No, 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 no. Your gift is given. It's not about you. It's about ministering to this church and this body and using that God-given, spirit-energized gift to make this thing work. And so this morning as we sit here and digest all of this, I want you to do several things. If you're still battling with this idea of spirituality and you're not sure what it is, you've got to be saved. You've got to trust Christ. You have to repent and believe in him. Jesus paid it all. You can't, you can't add to it. You can't take away from it. He paid it all. You must repent and believe. But if you're here this morning and you really believe that spirituality is one of those other things, then you are, excuse me, but ignorant. If you want to stay ignorant, stay ignorant. You lose in the deal. But if you're interested in saying, God, here I am. Maybe I'm not sure exactly, but I want you to take this life. You have given me something to use in the body of Christ. And by your grace and by your glory, I'm going to use it for you. And use it. In this place is a mighty army. And everything that this church needs, it's here. It's here. God builds the body. It's here. And God's vehicle that he uses is the church. The way he shows the world the beauty of Jesus Christ is through the church. It's not worshiping in the woods. It's not doing your own thing. It's through a body of believers realizing they're saved and washed by the blood of Christ and forever grateful to him and saying, okay, God, you've given me something. Now let me use it in the church so that the world, as they look at us, will see your honor and your glory and you will be the one who is magnified and praised. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.